Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it is just so wonderful to be here. Lord, thank you that we can worship you, we can praise you, we can be together as your family. And Lord, I pray now that you just open our hearts to receive what you have for us, open our ears to hear, our spiritual eyes to see. And Lord, I just come as your instrument now to be used by you, to bring your word to us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So, last Sunday, we celebrated Resurre Resurrection Sunday, or Easter Sunday, celebrating the fact that uh, Jesus conquered death and walked out of the tomb, and he is alive. And I, I love that, that he walked out of the tomb, and he is alive. What an impact that day has had on the world. No other day in history has had an impact like that day. We've lived through some momentous times where significant events have happened. Your age will often determine what the significant event was. So like, where were you when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima? I think Michael's about the only one who was alive at that stage in our, in our church. No, you weren't. No, it was 1945. Okay. Where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? Where were you when England won the Football World Cup? Where were you when, the man, when man first landed on the moon? Where were you when Elvis died? Where were you when the great storm that wasn't going to happen happened in 1987 and hit the south of the UK? Where were you when the Berlin Wall came down? Where were you when Nelson Mandela was freed from prison? Where were you when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup for the first time? Because it happened another two times, you need to know which one I'm talking about the first time. Okay. Where were you when 9-11 happened? And then for the English, where were you when England won the Rugby World Cup? It's only been once, so you only have to know one date. Okay. <laughs> yeah. One, one rugby, one football. That's it. Okay. Now, some of these events had international impact, some of them just a national or regional impact. And there are many other events or happenings that you could think of, but none of them had the impact of that first Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus walked out of that tomb. As Mark Stoneham said last week in his sermon, even time has been impacted by it. We live with B.C. and A.D. B.C., before Christ. And A.D., not after death, as some people think, but Anno Domini, the Latin for in the year of our Lord. The impact of his resurrection will continue until he comes again. And he is coming back. He is coming again. We look forward to that day. Today I want to revisit something else Mark just touched on last Sunday in his message. I want to look at the significance of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. The significance of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Now, Ruth Haley Barton, some of you know of her, in her Beyond Words reflection, even when the doors are shut, encountering the risen Christ, says this, 
After all Jesus had endured to accomplish victory over death, there were so many things he could have chosen to do in the time between his resurrection and his ascension. He could have hosted a joyous celebration, showed himself, and maybe even gloated a little. I mean, wouldn't we have done that? <laughs> like, look, I'm back. I told you I was coming back. <laughs> he could have even gloated a little to the ones who had humiliated and killed him. Or staged a strategic gathering with influences focused on how he was going to bring in his kingdom. But instead, he initiated a series of private and very personal interactions with his close, with his close ones, gently creating space for what they most needed. His people were more important to him than partying, politicking, or planning. Now, I want to look at these encounters with Jesus and see what we can learn from them. And I'm taking it from uh, the Gospel of John, just looking at those ones. So there's a few that I, I don't touch on today. The first encounter with Jesus after his resurrection is with Mary Magdalene. In John's Gospel account of that first resurrection morning, Mary had gone to the tomb to go and anoint his body and sort things out in the tomb. And she finds that the stone has been rolled away and that the tomb is empty. She then runs back to the disciples, where they are huddling away, hiding away in the upper room, and tells them what's happened. Peter and John run to the tomb with Mary following. John gets there ahead of Peter and pops his head in and sees the empty tomb where Peter comes in and just goes straight in, barges straight in, typical Peter, and uh, sees the tomb is empty. And they don't know what to do, so they head back to the room where they were all gathered. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Then Jesus said to Mary, Mary, one word. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. John chapter 20, verses 11 to 17. There are two things that stand out for me from Mary's encounter with Jesus. Firstly, it was an intimate encounter, a one-on-one -on -one time between the two of them. No one else was around to interrupt their time together or to be a distraction. We all need regular one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. We all need regular one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. Secondly, Mary became the first person to tell others of the resurrection of Jesus. She was the first evangelist as such. 
And this is significant in two ways. As Mark mentioned last week, women in, the, in those days had no status as rational thinkers or trustworthy people and could not give evidence in court. Jesus firstly broke this belief by giving credence to Mary's report. Thus he gave status to Mary and to all women. And secondly, he showed that their testimony could be and should be trusted and believed. None of us is unqualified to, to tell others about the risen Jesus. None of us is unqualified to tell others about the risen Jesus. The second encounter we see in John's Gospel happens a little later in the day. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. John 20, verses 19 to 23. Now, what's so significant about this encounter of Jesus and his disciples? As Mark said last week, that Jesus didn't need a door to be opened for him to come in. He appeared in their midst. They were hiding away, afraid, and not sure what to do. And amidst their fear and uncertainty, Jesus appears and speaks peace upon them. Peace to their troubled minds and fearful hearts. He then reveals his scars, just so that they can be, there can be no uncertainty as, as to it being him. The mood in the room immediately changes, and the disciples are filled with joy. Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, is back. Everything is going to be as it should be. Everything is going to be fine. Soon they'll be back out on the road again, traveling the length and breadth of the, of the nation. Jesus will be preaching, teaching, and performing miracles, and they will be basking in his glory. It is back to how it was before the Passover. Little did they know. Once more, Jesus speaks peace upon them, this time to still their hearts and minds in preparation for the rest of his declaration upon them. It is not going to go back to the way it was where he was doing all the work, the work, the miracles, the teaching, the preaching, and they were observing and serving in whatever way they could. Now it was time for reality to sink in as to why he chose them and spent three and a half years with them, teaching them and training them, exposing them to and discipling them in the ways of the kingdom of heaven. He declares to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them and thus commissions them to be those who will take the good news of the kingdom of God into the world. What do we learn from the second appearance of Jesus? Firstly, once we've invited Jesus in as our Lord and Savior of our lives, we cannot lock him out. He will always be there with us and for us. Even if we turn our backs on him, he is still there. 
Secondly, when we are fearful and uncertain, or living in fearful and uncertain times, we can know that Jesus is with us, declaring peace into our lives, His peace, not the peace that the world tries to offer us. And thirdly, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've been commissioned and sent to to this lost and dying world to proclaim and share the love of Jesus Christ with those who do not know Him. That's each one of us who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. We are sent into this world to proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior to those who do not know Him. The next appearance of Jesus is found in the Scriptures following right on from what we've just read. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think he had to say peace to them all the time because they must have been so scared when he just suddenly appeared. I mean, wouldn't we? And just suddenly, out of nowhere, there's someone in our midst. It says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John 20, verses 24 to 29. Once more, locked doors cannot keep Jesus out. Once more, he speaks peace upon them. And then he gets straight to the point of him being there. He addresses Thomas, the doubting disciple. Thomas wanted proof that Jesus was alive. He was not prepared to take the word of his friends. So Jesus comes to Thomas when he's with these friends and reveals himself to Thomas. He invites him to touch his scarred hands and his pierced side. Then he gently rebukes him. Stop doubting and believe. What do we learn from this appearance? First up, Jesus hears us when we speak. Jesus hears us when we speak. And that's why I said at the end of the prayer time, our prayers are heard by God. He hears everything that we say. He hears us when we speak, be it in doubt in fear, or in faith. He hears every word, and he responds to our words. Secondly, doubting is not a sin. Doubting is not a sin. I think some people need to grasp it and understand that, because they think if they've doubted, I've sinned. No, you haven't. Doubting is not a sin. Thomas did not have to repent of his doubt. Jesus didn't ask him to repent. Jesus told him to stop doubting and believe. When our doubts are settled our faith becomes stronger. Thirdly, we who have believed without seeing what Thomas saw are blessed. Did you know that? That you are blessed just because you have believed without seeing what Thomas saw. When you're going through tough times, just remind yourself that Jesus declares you are blessed. Ruth Haley Barton in her article says this about Thomas and Jesus. In this encounter, Jesus respects Thomas's doubts by giving him the proof he needed. And Thomas learned a very valuable lesson. He learned to doubt his doubts, 
he discovered that even though his doubts and disillusionment felt very real to him, they were not an accurate representation of reality. Thank God for Thomas, whose interaction with Jesus challenges us all to be honest about our doubts and disillusionments, and in that way invite Jesus in, while at the, at the same time allowing Jesus to prove those doubts wrong. Invite Jesus into your doubts and disillusionments. Invite him in when you're having doubts or you're disillusioned, and let him come and settle it for you. Now, the end of chapter 20 feels like it could be the end of John's Gospel. But then he tags on what we know as chapter 21. And this is where we find the final appearance of Jesus that we're going to look at today. Actually, I want to read the end of chapter 20 before we get into this last portion of Scripture. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 30 and 31. Wouldn't that make a great final um, paragraph to the book? You know, that's it just settles it. This is it. But you can almost picture John sitting there thinking, one more thing. You know, I think my account is there, but no, one more thing. When he just has this thought, one more thing. One last memory to record as I finish off my account of the life of Jesus. If this last chapter was a bit of an afterthought, it's a really good one. I'm so glad that he had it. So afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other, and two other disciples were together. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told him, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. I don't know who sat there and counted them. <laughs> Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the, from the dead. John 21, 1-14. Now we don't know how much time had passed between their last encounter with Jesus, but this must have been several days, or maybe even weeks. Because to me it seemed like the disciples had almost given up and weren't sure what to do. So they go back to their old habits, go back to doing what they were doing before they became disciples of Jesus. 
they go fishing with pretty much the same results as the last time they'd, they'd gone fishing. Empty nets until Jesus turns up. And then there is abundance. Isn't that lovely? Jesus turns up and there's abundance. The previous occasion when Jesus told them to throw their net out and they would catch fish was when he then invited them to leave all that behind and follow him and he would make them fishers of men. What a way to remind them of the calling that he had made upon their lives. Like, remember guys, remember that last time this happened. What did I say to you? Come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So what do we learn from this encounter? Jesus knows where we are, no matter where we go. He's looking out for us, wherever we are. Secondly, when we listen and obey all that he tells us, his provision will be seen. He was able to fill their nets with fish, and it did not break. And thirdly, God knows what we need before we even ask. We see this in that he has already had breakfast cooking on the fire before they came ashore with their catch. Jesus already had the fish and the bread cooking on the fire. He knew they'd be hungry, so he provided breakfast for them. Now I want to conclude with this last portion of Scripture, following on from what we've just read. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. John 21, 15 to 19. There's so much that can be said about this portion of Scripture. And there are many sermons on this. I'm sure you've heard many. But I want to make one or two observations as I finish this message. We know Peter denied knowing Jesus three times after Jesus had been arrested. Three times he denied Jesus. And here Jesus questions Peter three times and gives him three instructions in response to Peter's answers. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. He is reinstating Peter back to what he was before he denied Christ. He concludes it all with one last command. Follow me. And that's a command to all of us. Follow me. Follow Jesus. What is significant about this interaction between Jesus and Peter? What is it that stri strikes you from this? Two things for me. Firstly, no, ma no matter how badly we mess up, when we come to Jesus, he sees our heart and is willing to forgive us. In fact, he's already forgiven us. And secondly, when life has knocked us down, Jesus is there ready to pick us up, clean us up, and set us on our feet once more and guide us along the path he has for us.
He leads us and He guides us and He shows us where we want to, He wants us to go. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Amen. Amen. Before we shut down the, the live stream, I just want to put up the discussion questions. And uh, there's three questions and a last point. So firstly is, what struck you most from this message? What struck you most from this message? Secondly, what do you think about Jesus hearing everything that you say? What do you think about Jesus hearing everything that you say? And thirdly, how do you deal with any doubts that you have about your faith? How do you deal with any doubts that you have about your faith? And then lastly, pray for one another. Okay, we're going to stop the live stream, and you guys in the hall, get into your groups. We'll set up the, the Zoom meeting for those online, and they will gather together there online. So, questions are there for you to see. Um, chat amongst yourselves. Okay, we've got a good 20, 25 minutes.